Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, hey, hey. We're back. We're black. We're brown. Ambition. 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 I'm excited because today in the stew, we have some extra brown in the studio today. We have the one, the only civil rights lawyer, Obama White House alum, Education leader running to fight for the village that raised him. He currently represents over 1.1 million neighbors on the Montgomery County Council. Will Yemi Jawando. It's just real to me. So if you remember (laughs) a few weeks back, depending on you're listening to this, I did a wealth walk in Maryland. It was awesome. It was like, you know, I want to say... Over 80 or so people came for the physical walk and then over 100 like stayed for the talk part at the end. It was with Will. It was amazing. You know, Will just, we we know in our community health is a huge component, but also wealth as well. So we combined the two um, and it was just, we walked at this really, where was that park, Will? What was that park, Will, called? Uh, that was Wheaton Regional. So we, we walked to this beautiful park called Wheaton yeah. Regional. And then afterwards, we talked about not just money, but money as related to like what Will Specialties, which we'll get into today. And so that was just so awesome. And I wanted to have Will back on. He also is an author of this awesome book called My Seven Black Fathers, right? Or Lessons from My... You got it. Mm-hmm. No, you got it. You got and it right so- the first time. Yeah, so you might have seen it in Target. I know I have many a times, um, but also, obviously, oh, yes, bring, bring it up. See, if you watch the YouTube channel, you could see it, right? <laughs> um, and so Will is awesome. I've known him, his amazing wife, Michelle. They've got, is it three or four girls you have now? We have three girls and a boy. Three girls and a boy, right? In, and that, so- in that order, in that order. <laughs> They kept trying for a boy. That's what it's giving. (laughs) (laughs) And so Will is just an awesome, awesome, awesome resource. And I can't wait for you guys to hear from him. So welcome to the studio, Will. Uh, Well, it's great to be here. And thank you. And that was such an amazing walk. And thanks for having me on the show. So, Will, tell us, like, currently, like, what do you what do you currently do for a living now? But then, like, what kind of have you done that has brought you to this place? Because I want people to get a context of, like, who you are as we start to talk about money. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm on the Montgomery County Council. I'm a council member at large, which all that means is just a fancy way of saying I represent I'm elected countywide. And as you mentioned in the in the lead in, uh, I represent one point one million residents uh, in Montgomery County. There's six million people in Maryland um, and I represent one point one million of them. I'm in my second term. Uh, I chair the Education and Culture Committee, which oversees our school system and our community college and 
arts and culture programming. Uh, and as I know you know, I'm also running for the United States Senate. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so to represent all six million people in the U.S. Senate. So so that's what I'm doing now. I'm also a lawyer. Uh, I do uh, some I'm a civil rights lawyer, but I'm full time as a council member, public servant in on the Montgomery County Council, uh, in, which is the community I grew up in and where Michelle and I are raising our kids. Is let me question about your wife, Michelle, who's awesome, by the way. Is Michelle an attorney as well? She is. Yeah. You know, them kids don't even realize what they got. They got two black lawyers in the house. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you follow hey. Will on social media, their family is just so beautiful. Like Michelle is beautiful. Their girls are beautiful. His son is beautiful. It's just like, you know, when people like say back in the day, that's a good black family. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, one time I saw Dick Gregory, God rest his soul, right? When I was working in the Obama White House. And I think we had two kids at the time mm -hmm. and our two girls. And he grabbed me and he said, he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, you keep having those beautiful black babies. Yes. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and then I went and we went and had two more. So yes. we got to do our part. Yes, I love that. Um, so one of the things that came up during the Wealth Walk that I just thought was, this comes up a lot, is that sometimes, especially we as black and brown people, we feel like we don't, we can't play a role in like what happens to us externally. You know, mm -hmm. that like, yes, I can do my budget at home and I can save, but as far as like what happens federally, what happens in my state, what even happens in my county is kind of out of my hands other than voting, right? But is that really true that like there's nothing that we can do? We just have we're just we just have to suffer as a result of whatever choices are made by the powers that be? Yeah, that's a that's a great, great question and a great point. I mean, no, the answer, the short answer is no, it's not true. And let me tell you why. Um, voting is is certainly important, right? People fought and died for that right. There's a reason it, there's people still attacking it and trying to take it away from whole groups of people, whether they be returning citizens who have been in jail or prison, or whether uh, it's com you know modern day literacy tests where you have to make all these hoops uh, where people have to jump through and moving their polling stations. All that stuff is still happening today. Mm -hmm. So the, the vote is important, but there's so much more. Um, than that. Um, it's it's actually being engaged with who you vote for, okay. right? Um, you know, ha going to the council hearing, right? I often tell people, my county council, we have a $7 billion budget. Mm. And, and that money comes from you. Mm. It comes from the people that pay taxes, right? Either property taxes or sales tax or income tax. Um, and so you should absolutely, and we should absolutely be engaged in directing that money and then we set the rules of the of the road too. We also do all the laws, right? How fast can you go on the road, right? You know, you care about your kids not getting hit. Go fight for a lower speed limit. That's what we decide that too. Mm. Um, and then you talk about land use, the big maybe the biggest of all of them. Mm -hmm. Where are things built? How are they built? Who is allowed to build? Mm -hmm. Who gets money to help them build? Um, you know, if you talk about wealth, you know, uh, certainly uh, owning property is kind of a bedrock principle I know as of that. And so so the lo state, local and federal government are involved in all of that. The squeaky wheel really does get the oil. And so we have to show up, we have to be present, we have to hold people accountable who we elect mm -hmm. and advocate for things that are going to improve our community. Um, so I, I just think absolutely uh, it matters and you have a right to do it. And not just a right to engage with elected officials, you have a responsibility and it's directly connected to the health and wealth of your, yourselves, but also your entire community. 
So let's do like a walkthrough because people ask me this all the time. So you know I got the um, law A. Well, I didn't get it, but I helped to introduce A1414, the budget needs to Absolutely. law in the state of New Jersey, making financial education mandatory for middle school students because New Jersey already has a law for high school students. So I'm not going to lie. It was thankfully thankful to, I'm thankful to my assemblywoman, Angela V. McKnight, who came to me and said, let's do something together. But I think the vast majority, even me, I was not really clear on the process. I had to like literally, I think I watched the schoolhouse rock. I'm just a right. sitting on <laughs> so, right, right. I think a lot of people don't realize that like, wait, you can get like help to get a law passed. Can you walk us through the literal like, okay, you have an idea and you think that maybe there's no financial education in your in your state and your what like so what are the, what's the process of 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 creating like a change through legislation? So what would somebody do? Yeah, it's a great question. I actually created a nonprofit to help people in low income communities do just that. Like we we called our voices matter, okay. and what we did is we went to the six lowest income census tracts in Montgomery County, where I represent, and we had a community town hall, okay. and we said, hey. What are issues? And we had incentives. You know, we had like so. So this is kind of like step one in the process. You got to get together, um, either with yourself or community members, uh, and talk about what you want to see change. Okay. Right. You have to have an idea of what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And it could be something like I want to change the law for financial literacy, like you did, or it could be I want the uh, the door at my middle school, I want the security door fixed. Okay. So it's not, it's not hanging open. That was one issue we helped some community members with. Okay. It, so it could be anything. Um, so identify those needs mm -hmm. and, and within your community, you know, it could be an individual because individuals, you know, but it could be, I think it's stronger if you can get with the group and the, you know, on that, then you, uh, one, do the research on who is, who are the decision makers, right? Who are the people that, decide that issue. So depending on what it is, it could be a local, a state or a federal issue, or it could be all three. Okay. And in the case of a school, you know, a school door, uh, it's going to probably be the local school board, right? So we, we identified with that group. So, so what you do is you identify the issue, Okay. you know, gather with people who care about it, then look up and research who the decision makers are. So those are your council people, your city council, your state, you know, you should already, you should just automatically know if you go into any, you know, vote.org and to type in uh, your zip code, your address, it'll tell you who your elected officials are. Okay. So, you know, at every level, right? So at federal, state and local level. Okay. Um, and then reach out to all of them and just, you know, write a letter or show up or look better yet or do all three of these things. Write them a letter, write them an email, mm -hmm. then show up to the, uh, to a public hearing. A lot of these, like we have people that come, they can you know, testify for three minutes on a topic, they come and they and they say why they're here and what they hope to see. That's the first step in the process, bring it to the attention of the elected officials. Okay. Okay. So that's great. So that's why. So that's the first step. There's more steps, but I'm No, no, I like that. So then, so then, okay. So let's just say, so that happens. Angela came to me and was like, hey, Tiffany, I want to do something. I guess she was on the education committee. We so I didn't have to do any writing. I just kind of gave to your point from my space of expertise. This is what should be appropriate for middle school students. Then right. Angela went to her team and started to craft like what a bill. So you don't have to do Correct. that as the you know as the 
like not you, I'm saying like the, the, you yeah, listening. the person. Yes. Yeah. You know, so then, you know, the, you, you know, you find your elected official and they, you tell them kind of the components of the bill of the proposed bill and they will craft something together. And oftentimes they'll bring it back to you where I'm, I'm thinking, cause Angela brought it back up. She was like, do you mean like this? And I was just like, yes, like, yes, that, cause for me, it was important as a former teacher, well, I'm still a teacher, but like a former school teacher right. that it didn't teach a whole bunch of people. And <laughs> I wanted, I wanted um, a, a law or a bill that didn't put undue stress on the teacher. And so there was right. language in there that shared, that was like, integration into the day versus like you have to stop and say money time, you know, and like teach. So I knew that that language is important. So she might not have known that because she was not a school teacher. And so, so it, Angela came to me, said, here's the language of this proposed bill. Then I remember something distinctly about she had to get like some stakeholders on board. So she got like a group of superintendents. Is that part of it too? Um, yeah. Yeah. So you bring up a really good point. So yes, your, your job is not to necessarily draft the language. Obviously, if that's your skill set, you know, there are people that come to us, you know, that have language and they're like, we want this to be drafted. Mm -hmm. But most people just have something they want to see happen. Mm -hmm. And and so then we take and work with our le our lawyers and our legislative councils and within our offices and we draft the legislation. Mm -hmm. But the, the part that you're talking about next is really critical. The mm -hmm. the stakeholder engagement. Yes. Right. You know, getting people behind. That's why I said if you start out with a group at the mm -hmm. beginning, because that you've already created one of your first stakeholder groups. Right. And, and, and if it can be, you know, the parents and the, the teachers association, mm -hmm. the teachers union and the, the more the more work you can do throughout the beginning and throughout the process to get others to agree that, hey, we need to do this that are not the electeds, okay. right? That is what ultimately will move the electeds to do it. But if you have a broad coalition and and so, you know, my uh, you often heard the term, there's no new ideas under the sun, mm -hmm. right? There's a lot of ideas that have been proposed and are out there, but who can build the coalition mm -hmm. of people that can create the energy behind, you know, when, when Dr. Martin Luther King was pushing for the Voting Rights Act in 1965, there's famous conversations and it's multiple, this has happened multiple times throughout our history where he's talking to the president and they're like, we need to do X, Y, Z. And, he, and, and, and the response back was from the president to Dr. King and others was, well, go make me do it. Mm. You know, so you so you have to have the stakeholders uh, in the community asking for it. So that's where the organizing part happens. Okay. And the good thing about that is when you do that, you improve the legislation, you improve the policy yes. because you get feedback. You, yes. Just like you said, they, she took it to you and you're like, well, it has to be integration. So we don't yes. want to, the teachers are going to tell you this, the superintendents yes. might tell you that, the community member will tell you that. And then through that process, you get a better product mm -hmm. that will, because ultimately you want something that will have buy-in, yes. right? Because there's been a lot of laws that have been written that if they don't have buy-in, um, they're not going to be implemented well mm -hmm. and people aren't going to believe in them. And you're never going to totally avoid that. Mm -hmm. But the more work you do on the front end and through the process to get other people's input that are impacted, the better the end product will be. And you're building momentum uh, for for passage. And that was that's exactly what happened to your point that I think it was like uh, they initially wrote it and the teachers pushed back and said, oh, we already have too much in the educational day. And I said, you know what? They're absolutely right. I totally forgot. Angela, I think that integration is better because I already have to do story time. But imagine like I just pick one book a week. That's a money book. So I'm not right. creating a whole new segment. It's like I'm already reading anyway. 
I'm already right. doing art projects. Maybe one of those art projects is a piggy bank made, made out of a shoebox, you right. know? And so, exactly. like, so, okay, no, okay. So I love that part. It's like, okay, so you get your buy-in and there, Will is, um, half Nigerian, but you know, we're going to claim all you. Um, <laughs> and so there's <laughs> an African, there's a half, um, there's a, a African proverb that says, right? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, you go with others. And so mm-hmm. it, that illustrates that point. So then, so we, so we got that buy-in with the community. And then I remember her saying something like, now it has to go to committee. So what is that? So the bill's introduced, Mm -hmm. uh, like you said, a bill, a bill, just a bill, (laughs) you know, like schoolhouse, right? The bill's introduced Mm -hmm. by a council member or assembly person, whatever the, the vehicle, the level, level of government is, or a congressperson or a senator. And then it goes to normally what happens is there's a public hearing. at the local level. Um, And that's what we have. So two weeks after we introduce the bill, and this is common for a lot of local and and state legislation, Mm -hmm. there's a there's a hearing on it and it goes to committee. Mm -hmm. uh, And in this case, if we're talking about this, it'd be probably an education committee Mm -hmm. bill. And and I chair that committee for my council. So go it would go to us and then we would review it. Right. And we would have we would call witnesses and have people there like the school school system maybe some of the teachers, the advocates, people who have advocated on this bill, uh, and then try to start working through the legislation. And maybe there's amendments offered and, and you know, like, well, let's change this language to this, or let's do it this way. And, and so it could, it could be one or two committee sessions or more, depending on how complicated the, the issue is, mm-hmm. then it would be voted out of committee. Okay. Um, and so it would, hopefully receive a you know positive vote Mm -hmm. in our case we we have three person committees because we have an 11 member council so you have to have two people agree to move it forward okay so say it comes out then it goes to the full body so in our case 11 member council it could be bigger if it's the full you know state legislature of new jersey or whatever it would go to hundreds of people and but then it's it's reported out of committee favorably or unfavorably and then it's voted on by the full council and then it would be passed uh, it would and now if if it's a state legislature, it has to go through the house and the That's Senate. That's what she was telling me. Yeah. So take tell us yeah. about that. I remember she was like, it had to go to the house, right. and then it had to go to the Senate. So what does that look like? So yeah. So every at the state and federal level, you have you have uh, an executive at every level of government. You have an executive, a legislative, and a judicial. Mm-hmm. The executive signs the laws and implements them. Mm-hmm. The legislative passes the laws mm-hmm. and it in most and then the judicial reviews and says what's constitutional, you know, kind of reviews the laws to see if they're in line with the Constitution. Um, and that the legislative branch, which we're talking about now in at the state and federal level, it's comprised of two houses, usually a house and a Senate. Mm-hmm. And so, and uh, that the, so you have the House of Representatives at the federal, you have the U.S. Senate. At the state level, you have some some people call it assembly, some people call it delegates, mm-hmm. but there's a house and then there's a Senate. At the local level, at the county or municipal level, often there's one body that's everything. Okay. So so there's 11 council members. We have committees, but the body of the whole, there's no Senate. It's okay. just the, if the council passes it, they send it to the mayor or the county executive and they sign it or veto it. Okay. But And so at the state level, you have a house and Senate. And in those cases, you have to get it through one chamber and then the bill goes over to the other the other chamber the senate and is passed and then it goes to the executive which would be either the the president at the federal level the, the governor, governor at the state level or the mayor or county executive at the local level and okay. they would sign it and then it becomes law well you were just too so i hope y'all getting like i mean it's a whole history <laughs> lesson or whatever you're welcome <laughs> 
Oh my goodness. Honestly, Will, I am learning so much. I feel like I'm back in history class. But give us a moment. We need to pay some bills and we'll be right back black and brown. Hey, BA fam. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. All right, BA fam, y'all know when it comes to financial advice, you have to trust your source. That's why you listen to Brown Ambition, right? And when I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. I've been a longtime fan of Nerd Wallet. In fact, I almost worked there a couple of times because when it comes to financial experts and writing, they really know how to give you the best reviews of financial products. I honestly wouldn't sign up for a credit card today if I hadn't looked at a review on a site like Nerd Wallet myself. And honestly, if y'all haven't learned about Nerd Wallet, you're missing out. And with their help, what could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access, wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. All right, BA fam, you know we work hard and we play hard, but when it comes to investing and having your money in the market, you want your money to be working for you. That's exactly what the Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app can help it do. Keeps your money out there working hard and kicking you-know-what I love Betterment because it makes it easy for even a beginning investor to figure out how to put their money in the market and set it and forget it and be at peace with that because you know Betterment has got you covered with their automated investment and savings app. Their technology is going to give you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize those returns. All you got to do is visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. Hey, debit card users, listen up. Discover has something especially for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can start earning cash back on everyday debit card purchases. You heard that right. Cash back on debit purchases because cash back isn't just for credit cards. It's time you also get some love. Oh, And I should also mention that this has no fees, period. Finally, the game-changing checking account you deserve. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank member FDIC. And 
And we're back. Wow, Will, this is so fascinating. Keep going. So I remember distinctly, now I'm like, things are coming to me. I remember that one of the things that the uh, Assemblywoman did is that she, because she is a Democrat, I think she found somebody across the aisle. So like right. a Republican to co-sponsor the bill, I believe. Yes, yes. And so like, because to your point, like if we can get more people to say we're on board, you have less likely to have this kind of pushback. Exactly. It's something we need more of in the Congress right now, yes. you know, that I want to do when I get to the Senate is is work across the aisle on things that you can work across the aisle on. Right. Like you're not going to agree on everything. Like I always tell people all the time, Michelle, my beautiful, amazing wife, we don't agree on everything. So and we've decided to be life partners. So, of course, we're not going to agree with everyone we're working with on everything. But you can get to a place where. You're agreeing on the majority of it mm -hmm. and in, in you, the intent of the legislation. And so that's part of that process when you're working on, uh, you know, building your stakeholders and building your support. Uh, you want those folks to also reach out to other members of the legislative body to tell them why, you know, because it's just like in like influencing. If I tell you if I'm trying to convince you. That has some effect. But if other people from who have a different interest than me yes. come to try to convince you, that's going to have a different impact. Mm -hmm. So but a lot of times, even before you introduce the bill, like like your assemblywoman did, she, she was like, well, let's give it a better chance mm -hmm. if we can make it bipartisan or or get more co-sponsors. The more people you have, you know, if I'm going to introduce a bill on my council, there's 11 members. It needs six votes to pass. Mm -hmm. If I can get six co-sponsors on it there at the go. beginning, that means it's going to pass. <laughs> So, so, so it's, it's kind of a also, you know, trying to get, do that work on the front end. No, this is great. And so, so just so you can, so in the beginning, my, the bill that, uh, you know, I helped to work on, it was for elementary and middle school. It it did all of that. It, it, you know, it went to committee and went to the house, went to Senate. Then it got to, at the time, Governor Christie's desk. He said he would sign it. He did not. And that was his last year in office. So it was literally, it, it got on his desk right before he was leaving office. He did not sign it. And in, at least in the state of New Jersey, an unsigned bill is basically vetoed. Like it's just, you know, it's gone. Right. So we brought it back to the table. And this time there was this new pushback where they didn't want the elementary school component. So went all the way through. They're like, take off that elementary school part. I said, fine. She said, fine. And then it got to um, uh, Governor Phil Murphy, Murphy's uh, desk and at the time he was out, so Sheila Oliver, um, who is our, um, what is that called? What do you call when you're like, it's almost like governor and second governor. No. Um, Lieutenant governor. Lieutenant, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> second governor. So lieutenant governor. <laughs> so, it was awesome. <laughs> so it was awesome because we got to, like what was great about it since it was middle school, they picked a middle school in Newark called the Barack Obama Middle School, which I love. And, and so, right. right, the kids got to see, watch her sign a bill into law, which was really awesome. And I got to be there. Of course, my mom was there, you know, as a Nigerian, she was like, hey, of course. my daughter has made the law. I was like, she was actually mad, Will, because you'll know this about Nigerians, that like, that they wouldn't let her talk on stage. I'm like, mommy, why would you? <laughs> I'm your mother. I was like, Sylvia, honestly, just sit down. So that was an what amazing experience. What is wrong experience. with these people? <laughs> I love my people. So, but one, so knowing that, and you know, you are wanting to make this shift from local government to state government. You said something that was really powerful because I don't live in Maryland. And I remember being like, well, not why should I care? But why should I care if you're the senator or who our senator was? But then you told me something that was really powerful. Do you want to share if you remember? Like, why does it matter who, if I live in New Jersey, who the right. senator in Maryland is? Well, there are only 100 senators, right? So th there's two from each state of the 50 states. 
we need to get D.C. two senators. They should be a state, but that's a separate issue. Mm-hmm. And so but we vote on the U.S. Senate votes on things that affect the whole country. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, your your freedom to uh, have your own reproductive health care. Right. Your your the tax rate you pay, the the funding for education that comes from the federal government, the you know, any it, think imagine any of those laws. So all 100 senators no matter what state they're from, are voting for those things. They're voting to confirm Supreme Court justices and all the judges that decide what rights we have. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that's why it you, certainly it should matter uh, for the voters of Maryland, but it should matter for everybody because w- the control of the Senate, who's in there, what their priorities are, what they're doing, uh, and the House is the same way. It affects those 535 people, 435 in the House and 100 in the Senate, mm-hmm. uh, along with the president, are deciding things for the whole country, all you know, 300 million plus of us. Mm-hmm. And so that's why that should have mattered to everybody. That was really powerful. I had not thought about that because you're right. We are currently seeing now, you know, some of our laws being stripped right in front of us in ways yeah. that we could have never imagined. And it's as a result of who currently is in the, the Senate. And of, of course, I think people just think like, as long as I vote for president, that's what matters most. But, no. you know, you shared something during the Wealth Walk that like where you can really flex your most uh, political power is your local government. Absolutely. And not only can you flex the most power there, because like I said, we just ran through that process, right? You get it, you get some people in a room, you show up there. There's a force multiplier when you, when people show up that don't normally show up because mm. people are like, oh, what's going on here? Like, I, you know, they're used to hearing to the people that always show up, the lobbyists and the people that are always the squeaky wheels. But you get 10 or 15 people to show up from a black or brown community mm. talking about an issue that have never been there before. And people are going to be like, huh, what's mm. going on? And and that's the power of democracy. And not only that, you, you will take the example of the law you passed mm-hmm. when you pat when you're successful and you change and pass a local law. That is what we at the federal level mm-hmm. are often looking for as examples and models to use for federal legislation. Okay. So when I worked in the White House with President Obama, when I worked in the Senate for Senator Obama and Sherrod Brown, who's senator from Ohio and Nancy Pelosi, which were my jobs on the Hill, we were always looking for that lo- like local story or local okay. idea that had an impact it was a unique or innovative way to address a problem that's impacting others in the country. So so not only are you helping your own community, mm-hmm. you're potentially serving as a model for to help others across the country. So that's why it's just really a force multiplier. No, I love that. Will, like, you know, you and I have kind of like privately discussed like my concerns with the appraisal process and surprise. I remember I was surprised when I saw the current, you know, administration and our, our current president. Um President Biden talk about like acknowledging the appraisal process. There, there is unfortunately racism, like just woven all through. And I experienced it myself personally. The home that I live in now, you know, it was appraised for about forty thousand dollars under. At first, I wasn't sure, and then the New York Times did a story where I was included. They did their own independent appraisal. um, A few weeks after the appraisal that I got, that I felt was low, and sure enough, they found it was about forty thousand dollars under. But what was really kind of terrifying was that it wasn't a matter of, well, potato, potato, this is my, the way my home was appraised was intentionally under appraised because there are, there are codes that's assigned to your home. And my home, although 
my husband um, and I at the time, we had just moved in, not even six months. There was literally still stickers on the window. Every doorknob was new, every hinge, because um, we renovated it, gutted this like 100-year-old place. And they even exclaimed at how beautiful a renovation that they assumed someone else did um, when they were here. Um, and they, they, the, what they put in our appraisal paperwork that our home was a wear and tear home. Like that was the code. Right. So right, not a right. code. Yeah, of you like, mentioned that. Yeah. yeah so it, that's not accidental when you say, wow, because there's a code for a fully renovated sure. or new or broken down. And they purposely gave us an appraisal, a code that did not match the home to their own admission. Um, and then they used that code to then use comparables comps, right? That were broken down homes, wear and tear homes. And so it left our home undervalued. And at the time I did not know what to do. Spoke with Angela and she said, you know, um, let's, let's see if this is a law of that, a bill that we can introduce and get a law passed. Um, so I'm sharing that because, um, 64% of wealth, um, in the United States is really based on home ownership. Right. And unfortunately, right. black and brown people, especially black people, um, we under-indexed in home ownership, but then also the value of our homes. On average, a black home is undervalued at about $40,000, which I think, is it, is it the Bookings? Brookings? What is that report? Brookings, Brookings. Brookings. Yeah. And I think yeah, it costs the black study, community yeah. like oh, well over a billion dollars, right? Is oh, it? absolutely. And we actually have a case. It was also in the New York Times, I think last month, maybe. Mm -hmm. But there was like an, an extreme case of this where a, a family, uh, had, when they put it, had the appraisal, black family, mm -hmm. it appraised for 470000 mm -hmm. And then when a white, they were like, there's no way because we bought it for four fifty, and We put a new water heater in. We did all this stuff. We did all, the, you know, and the comps and everything. But then when a white, a white, when they came, got appraised and thought it was a white home, yep. it appraised for $750,000. Uh, so like almost a $300,000 gap. You know, and, and because they didn't get the appraisal they wanted, their refinance, their loan was denied. Yes. They were trying to refinance. And, in the, and so it's just the, that's an extreme example. But yeah, yeah the, the average of 40,000, that is a direct, you talk about the racial wealth gap. Yes. I mean, that's a, it's a huge issue. Yes. And so this is when we're talking, one of the reasons why I wanted Will to come on here and kind of explain how do you actually get laws passed on the local, um, state and federal level is because like that, getting something like that passed on the local level. And I'm so glad that you shared that, Will, that like at the state level, this is what you've seen they look for. So getting a law passed on like a local level for this or at a state level can potentially have, you know, a, the federal government looking to say, Hey, what can we put in place to make this? like absolutely illegal and then there are there are um punishments in place if you if you engage in this and that would dramatically affect the value of black homes which would dramatically affect like this racial wealth gap and what is that statistic will by by 2050 if we continue the black community continues in the same vein that we have financially that would be officially bankrupt isn't that the statistic yes that's correct that's correct and and uh you know some states are worse than others but there's like a 13 to 1 Yes. White, black, racial wealth gap. Our state is about eight to one, um, but still, you know, still significant. And yeah, no. And and so much of it, as you said, is tied up into, you know, to home ownership, but also the cost of everything. Right. Like, you know, when and, you know, the volatility, you know, I just passed a rent stabilization bill in my county and we have, you know, one point one million people, 40 percent just about our renters. So you're talking about over four hundred thousand people mm. and a lot of people are renting now. 
And obviously we want to encourage pathways to home ownership, but we also don't want people to go broke while they're trying to live because the stability of a home, whether it's rental or owned, is so important for so many other health indicators, you know, school mobility, um, you know, you know, your your overall health, uh, your ability to get to a job, you know, transportation. And, you know, so we capped the increase at 3% plus inflation, which in a normal year is somewhere inflation is normally one, 2%, mm-hmm. but we capped it at 6%. So it can't go any higher than 6%. Okay. And one of the reasons we did that is because you were seeing people get these increases of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50%, and there's no protection. And when you have 40% of your population written, that type of volatility, and I don't have to tell you disproportionately, they're black and brown. Of course. So, you know, so it's just those type of protections are just so important. So what do you hope? Like, I mean, so Mandy is, currently, quote unquote, not here, although she's listening. Hey, Amanda, girl, um, because of, of, of childcare. Like, I know that, you know, that is you, you, you have, you know, four beautiful children of your own. Like, what are some things that you could see yourself in the Senate, but also just locally? Like, what are options for like making childcare more, more affordable? I know Mandy said what really saved her is that recently universal preschool was brought to, yes. like Newark has that, like the Abbott program. Yes. I don't know if they still have Abbott, but they have preschool that's for right. three and four years, you don't have to pay. Because my sister had two kids, I remember, in daycare, $2,200 a month. I'm like, yep. how does how does one afford that? So, yeah, what what are some things that, you know, what are some solutions that you've, you've thought of or maybe passed that you can share with us? Yeah. So, well, one, this is one where there needs to be things happening at both the local, state, and federal level. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, we need a federal child care program that, makes uh, care for three and four year olds, you know, free and gives money to states, you know, and like District of Columbia, they have it free for all four year olds. Now, Maryland, we don't have that. We have subsidies mm-hmm. um, and and it's a patchwork across the country. We need this is where we need federal intervention, because, you know, like you said, you know, the average for a four year old in our in, in Maryland, if you take the whole state, is about eleven, just under eleven thousand a year, right? Mm. But if it's an infant, you know, it goes up to over almost sixteen thousand. Mm. And in some parts of our state, like the more, you know, Montgomery County where I live, it can be twenty thousand a year, which, oh. like you said, is like you know, for one child, for one child. Mm. And so obviously, most people can't pay that. So uh, we we have to dramatically increase the amount of subsidies mm-hmm. um, that we give uh, and create federal programs. Um, the other thing we can do in the interim and that I've done at the local level is we created uh, a guaranteed income pilot where we give $800 a month to 300 low income families okay. and they use it. A lot of them use it for child care or their housing because we just squeeze people too much. We've squeezed them on housing costs. Yes. We've squeezed them on child care. We've yes. squeezed them on health care, cost of higher education. And so when you just add all that up. It's just there's no room. Yeah. There's no room. And you have to relieve that pressure. So, um, you know, I think uh, ideally you set up a government system at the state and or federal level that uh, provides that care, because it's not only good for those families, it's good for the country. Mm-hmm. Most of 90 percent of brain development happens before you're five years old. Okay. My children, your you know, children that have access to pre-K mm-hmm. and early childhood ed- education, when they start kindergarten, they have millions more words than kids that have not had any formal care. Mm. And that starts that opportunity achievement gap yes. from day one. And so it's just not even smart for us as an economy. 
Um, so it's there's so many reasons to do it. Um, it's going to cost money, though. There's no way around it. And but you've seen states in some jurisdictions say we're going to do it. Yes. Um, and and it's just we have to keep building that movement because the prices are just continuing to rise. And at the same time, we don't pay the workers well. Mm. Right. So you have this thing where that's why it needs a federal a government intervention, because child care workers are some of the lowest paid yes. artist work workers. And so you have this thing where it costs crazy money. But there are also the people that are involved are paid so little. So that just is begging for a governmental solution because the market is not handling it. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. No, you're right. Because I I remember distinctly back then that like each child, we were getting paid $9,000 per child. Man. But it wasn't reflected. I was like, but then why, then why am I still buying all the, the scissors and the tape and the glue? Right. And the, right. I was like, right. Uh. Right. And those are kids that aren't like babies, right? Those were like, yeah, you know, older kids. I taught preschool, three and four. And right. I still came right. out of pocket tremendously in order to support my kids. Um, so I have a question. This is a little like a aside, but I've been hearing more and more and more, you know, my, my senator, um, uh, Cory Booker, um, and I think it's, it's Ayana. Um, Presley. Presley, yes. I can't. Where's where yeah. she? Where she's in the Boston area, like Massachusetts. She's yes. congressman from Vermont. So I have seen her talk. So Boston is crazy. So their racial wealth gap is the average black family. Their net worth is eight dollars, eight, and then the average white family in Boston two hundred thousand. That is criminal. So anyway, yeah. I've seen the both of them. Like I guess they've they've uh, partnered together to really try to address some of this via reparations, like having like that baby bond. And so, like, can yep. you maybe just share like what's like you know what like what's the buzz on like what what reparations and like how likely do you think something like that is 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 possible? That's a great question. And actually, I'm getting ready. I'm actually drafting a baby bond bill right now. Okay. There's two. Connecticut has one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as, as the first, they were the first state last year to develop one. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other, uh, jurisdictions that like cities that have them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would be actually the first county in the country to have one. But, uh, I think that is a form, like a really viable form of reparations because you can target it. The other thing is the Supreme Court with knocking down the affirmative action mm-hmm. cases has sh- this current Supreme Court, which we also need to change. And I, I have a, a plan on that too. We need some ethics reform. I think we need to look at expanding the court. It, it, the country has grown. We've expanded it in the past. We have to get out of, you know, you had most, a vast majority of this court now was appointed by a twice and twice impeached criminally charged Child, president. Yes. Um, so, so let's, it's just, it's not in a, in a good place, but um, baby bonds are a really effective way because they can be targeted uh, to Medicaid, like in the one in uh, Connecticut is tar- targeted to Medicaid recipients, okay. uh, which are disproportionately black and brown. And that allows, you know, that I think at the end it gets to about their initial investment is like twenty five, thirty five hundred dollars and it will grow to somewhere between sixteen and twenty five thousand when the child turns 18, okay. which could be used to go to school, could be used for a house. Down payment could be used for a lot of different things. Okay. Um, but the larger reparations talk, uh, I think is one that we continue, we, we need to have because if you've done any sort of racial equity training or know any history of this country, mm-hmm. wealth was systemat- systematically denied mm-hmm. to black, uh, families and other groups, but primarily and always there, there were other types of discrimination against Asian Americans and white immigrants at some point mm-hmm. uh, and other people. But the the one constant black people were always excluded. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when you talk about redlining, like where people were given loans to buy homes, 
there were communities where Jewish folks were excluded and other types of white immigrants were excluded, but that eventually changed. But always 100% black folks were excluded. Mm-hmm. To this day. And so, yeah, to this day. And so you were talking about the appraisals. It's, you still have the, the legacies and the, the, that in effect. So I think rep, my personal view on reparations is that you got to study it. There are some places... Uh, I have a good friend who's a local elected official in Evanston, Illinois, the sister. She was they were the first municipality. So Evanston, Illinois, was the first municipality to pass a local reparations where they actually gave checks uh, or, you know, did the analysis and figured out how to give money to descendants of enslaved people in uh, Evanston. So California just had a big study and a report that came out. Uh, there's a bill that Cory Booker and others, like you said, Anna Presley have to try to do a similar type of commission uh, to look at the issue. I personally think there's a lot of ways to attack the racial wealth gap. Mm-hmm. Baby bonds are one. Guaranteed income is another. Child, investments in child care and education are another. But there also is an argument for uh, direct investment into communities, into individuals that have been historically uh, excluded mm-hmm. from government You know, if you think about the GI Bill, the Homestead Act, Mm -hmm. you know, policies that gave certain veterans, certain white people, not black people, land for free or houses for free or education for free. Mm -hmm. You can't have that. And that's not that long ago. So these policies. So I think we absolutely need that conversation, uh, but we need to put it in the context of history. That's why we're being told by DeSantis and others right now Mm -hmm. that slavery benefited us. And of course it didn't and all these other crazy things, because they know if you tell the real history that you can't come to any other conclusion of that you have to do something about it to correct it. So, well, my last question to you is, so you're running for for Senate. So when does that when does that election come up? It's May 14th, 2024 is the primary election. Mm -hmm. And then November, same time as the president. So in Maryland, we vote in May for the primary and then November is the general next year. So about nine and a half months. So what can people do if they hear this and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm in California. Or, oh my gosh, I'm in, I'm in Ohio, but I like what he's talking about. I want to support, you know, <laughs> like I have a cousin that lives in Maryland. So certainly I can make a phone call, but how can people connect with you and support you, you know, on this run if, if they feel aligned with your mission? Yes, uh, they can go to willjawando.com, W-I-L-L-J-A-W-A-N-D-O.com, and they can sign up to donate there. They can sign up to volunteer. They can see, uh, you know, what I'm about, read about me. Uh, and I'm just at Will Jawando on all social media. And, and like we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. there's 100 U.S. senators in this country that vote on everything that affects everybody here. So uh, and there's not a lot of people that look look and have like me or have my experience. So I think we need more of that in the Senate. No, I think so too. Thank you so much, Will. You're so awesome. And honestly, thank you for always being a good friend, but also for being truly a servant leader. You don't see too many servant leaders. I mean, like I said, you did that wealth walk with us. They loved it. You're here back again. And, you know, you've really committed your life to be in service to all people, but especially, you know, carving out a space for black and brown people to make sure we get seen, heard and, and looked after. So we thank you. Thank you. And thank you for doing the same thing, Tiff. Love you much. Love you too. Be sure to 
The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 